0: A number of years ago, the, the famous TV host, Oprah Winfrey, she explained what led her away from uh, Biblical Christianity. She said this, and I'm going to quote her. She said, I happened to be sitting in church in my late twenties. And you had to get there at eight o'clock in the morning or you couldn't get a seat. And... He was a very charismatic minister, and everybody was was right into the sermon. And this great minister was preaching about how great God was, how omniscient and omnipresent, and how God is everything. And then he said, "The Lord thy God is a jealous God." And Oprah went on to say that I, I was, uh, you know, caught up in the rapture of the moment. Until he said Jealous And then something struck me I was thinking God is all God is omnipresent And God is also jealous God is jealous of me And something about that didn't feel right in my spirit Because I believed that God is love And that God is in all things And that's when the search for something more than Doctrine Started to stir within me so like for many people for Oprah jealousy is a petty human emotion and so it seemed ridiculous to say that the God of the universe is jealous but the apostle Paul understood what the Bible meant when it says that God is a jealous God And so for him, God's jealousy wasn't a problem to be fixed Or a truth to run away from Rather, it was a revelation of the depth of God's love for us And a powerful incentive for us to be wholeheartedly committed to Christ and so in this next section of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul pleaded with them, Don't cheat on God. Don't cheat on God. So this morning we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter, eh, chapter 10. Sorry. And we're going to read from verse 14. To verse 22. So if you have a Bible, please open it up. If not, just listen as I read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks A participation in the blood of Christ And is not the bread that we break A participation in the body of Christ Because there is one loaf We who are many are one body For we all partake of one loaf Consider the people of Israel do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons Not to God And I don't want you to be participants with demons You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, too. you cannot have a part in, the, in both the lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the lord 's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So over the last few chapters, Or in this letter, Paul has been addressing some questions that these Corinthians had about food that had been sacrificed to idols as part of their their pagan rituals that were happening in the city. And this was such an important question for this church because the city in which they lived was absolutely steeped in idolatry. And these Christians, they needed to know how to live for Christ in that culture and so in chapter 8 Paul answered the first question of whether you can eat meat that had been sacrificed to an idol that was often sold in the marketplaces so could Christians go in buy that meat and have it for their dinner and Paul said of course that's okay, because we know that an idol is nothing that's in chapter 8 verse 4 and so the meat that is sacrificed to it Is still just meat. It's unchanged. But Paul added, don't eat that meat if it would hurt another Christian whose faith is weaker. Because it's better to give up our own freedoms than to stumble your brother or sister in Christ. And then that led Paul on to show in chapter 9 how he was living out that principle in his own life remember how he was setting aside his rights as an apostle? How he was becoming all things to all people, so as not to hinder the gospel. But in the section that we just read this morning, Paul was addressing the ne- next aspect of this question. If it is okay to eat that meat that had been sacrificed to idols, and if an idol is nothing at all, then it doesn't mean that, that it's actually okay to go and attend a pagan sacrifice themselves and to, to join in to the, the celebration meal that's part of that in, the, in their pagan temples if you need the meat, well can you just go to the religious services as well maybe this was an issue because these believers probably didn't want to miss out on that social occasion it was a big meal, big get together And maybe they wanted to be part of that They didn't want to isolate themselves unnecessarily From their, their neighbours Nor their, their culture Maybe they didn't want to miss out on a time to spend With their family and their friends So was it okay for them to go And be part of that Well in this section Paul clearly says No Instead Verse 14 They had to flee from idolatry. The food itself was not contaminated, but taking part in that idolatry was out of the question. They had to run from it. They had to have nothing to do with it. But Paul here didn't just tell them what to do. He wanted them to understand why. This is what they had to do. Why did they have to flee from idolatry? So he says in verse 15, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Judge for yourselves. I don't know about you, but I've heard quite a number of people say things like that the Bible should be only interpreted by professionals by members of the clergy or maybe theologians and then they should just tell us what the Bible says it's too complicated to understand for ourselves we don't have the expertise so other people should should study it and then they should just tell us and we should just do what they say but that's not God's plan here is it? God doesn't want us to leave the, the difficult questions and the struggles of interpretation to somebody else He wants us to think through the issues for ourselves. To judge them for ourselves. To try to understand God's purposes and agree with God's commands. Because we see that they make sense. We see that they are right. They're helpful. And they're good. God wants us to understand the why. So, why should we as believers have nothing to do with idolatry? And what does that mean for us today? How should we apply that? How should we put that into practice? Well, first of all, as you see in verse uh, 16, Paul took a kind of a step back from this immediate question to look at what we call Communion, which we'll we'll remember in just a few moments That word communion is a translation of a Greek word koinonia Which means fellowship, communion, or as we read in verse 16 A participation in So communion is about sharing together It's about community When we break the bread and drink the cup, we fellowship. And we fellowship, first of all, with each other. Look at verse 17. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. Now I know because of Covid we do things slightly different these days. But the picture still holds. Our communion service that we're going to remember in, in a few minutes is is not a feast where we all just bring our own food and eat it individually. It's not just like we all have bring a packed lunch and we just have it together in, in the same room. That's not what it is. Instead it's a common feast where we pass a common bread and a common cup to each other and we share them Together. And through this, we are declaring that we are united together in the body of Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're members of one family, members of one church. Paul will say later on, this in chapter 12 of this letter, we were all baptised by one spirit into one body. We are all part of the same body. And so we declare that when we take communion. That's why, for example, it's really important for us to deal with any relationship issues we have with each other before we come to communion. We need to deal with those problems so that when we come and eat that bread and drink that cup together, we can really eat and drink together in unity. It's also why communion is really only for people who have already trusted in Jesus. Because those who have not yet accepted Jesus as their saviour are not yet part of the body of Christ. And so yet can't be united with us In our communion time So in communion we celebrate our fellowship with each other We participate together In this time And express our unity together But that's not the only fellowship that Paul is talking about here If you look at verse 16 again We're talking about a deeper level of fellowship. Fellowship with Jesus. Is not the cup of thanksgiving, verse 16, for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? When we take the bread and we take the cup together, we participate, we fellowship in the body and the blood of Jesus. Now what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we physically eat, are eating the body and the blood of Christ. Transubstantiation is the Roman Catholic doctrine. That a miracle happens in the mass that changes that bread and that wine into the physical, bo- the, the physical body and, and the flesh and blood of Jesus. But transubstantiation is not a biblical doctrine. This bread and this juice that we're going to be eating and drinking is going to be just bread and juice. That's because we are not continuing or repeating the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross this morning. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 says. But when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus' sacrifice of himself on the cross was a once-for-all sacrifice. For all time. His body was broken for us under the weight of our sin. His blood was shed for us to pay for our forgiveness. And when he cried, it is finished, he declared that our debt was paid for in full and now Jesus is no longer on the cross now Jesus is exalted and sitting at the right hand of the throne of God his suffering is complete it is not continuing today we're going to see this again in chapter 11 of this letter because Paul goes on in the next chapter to talk even more depth about communion And he says, he quotes here Jesus' command. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Chapter 11, verse 24. We have to take the bread and take the cup in remembrance of Jesus. Not do this to pay for sins. Not do this in order to be forgiven. Not do this to make yourself right with God. But do this to remember Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Nothing more is needed for our forgiveness. And so when we take the cup and we take the bread, we fellowship in the blood and body of Jesus. We express the fact that we've already shared in the sacrifice of Jesus. We are celebrating that when Jesus died on the cross he died for me and he died for you. And so we're rejoicing because we share in all the benefits of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Paul uses the, the experience of the nation of Israel the Jews, in their sacrifices, can kind of illustrate that point in verse eighteen. Have a look. Paul says, "Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. When the people of Israel presented those, those sacrifices to the temple, all that animal wasn 't always just burnt on the altar. sometimes they actually took part of it and they ate it together. And in doing that, the people were participating in the altar. They were identifying with what was happening on that altar, that sacrifice, and they were sharing in the benefits of that sacrifice. Whether it was forgiveness of sins, whether it was worship of the Lord. And that's what happens when we remember Jesus in the communion. When we take that bread and drink that cup, we participate in the body and blood of Christ. We make a statement that we are sharing in all the benefits of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Now of course this is also only possible for those who have already accepted Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. We can't fellowship with Christ if we haven't yet trusted in Christ. So we don't come to an altar this morning to sacrifice for sins. That's not what we're doing here this morning. Rather, we come, as Paul says in verse 21 of our reading, we come to the Lord's table, a place of fellowship. To fellowship with our Saviour. When you think about it, what an amazing privilege we have this morning. To be able to come and to have communion with Christ. To come and spend this time with Him. And to celebrate and remember and give Him thanks for all that He has done for us. And that is why Paul told this church that they mustn't have anything to do with idolatry. If they had fellowship with Christ, then they must be fully committed to Christ. And that's because even though those idols are nothing but just a lump of gold or silver or wood or stone or whatever... An idol is nothing at all. It can't do anything. But there is a spiritual reality behind it. Look at verse 19. Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. It's nothing. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. The apostle Paul knew that there is only one God. But these idols, they are being used by demons to lead people away from God. And so when the, sac- so this, when the sacrifices are made to them, they are actually offered to the forces of evil in this world. The spiritual forces of evil. And that's why Paul warned these believers to have nothing to do with idolatry. Verse 20, I do not want you to be participants with demons. I do not want you to have fellowship, communion with these spiritual forces of evil in this world. Let me say it again, an idol is powerless. It's just a lump of material. It can do anything. And meat that's sacrificed to an idol is just meat. But those who enter into any kind of worship of a false god are not doing something harmless. Instead they are fellowshipping with the demonic forces of evil. They are in communion with the spiritual forces of, in this world that are directly and continually at war with God. And that's something that a Christian can't do. In their communion time, these Christians were dedicated, declaring that they were united with with God's people and united with Christ. But if they went to those pagan sacrifices, they were then being united with demons. And those two things are completely incompatible. As Paul says in verse 21 You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord And the cup of demons too You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table And the table of demons You can't at the same time enjoy Close, intimate, fellowship with Christ And with those spiritual forces of evil That are directly opposed to Christ God won't allow us to do that. He won't accept that. Because God wants an exclusive relationship with us. If we try to do this, Paul said, verse 22, then this would arouse the Lord's jealousy. This is what we're talking about at the start. The Lord's Jealousy. Now we are very comfortable, we, we are very uh, used to thinking about jealousy as being a negative thing, as something wrong. And Paul, he's already used this, this word jealousy in this kind of context in this letter, in chapter 3. He says, since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? This is the kind of jealousy when we, when we envy and resent what each other has. We want something that somebody else has. Or we, we, we resent them getting it. And so it's destructive. It destroys relationships. It destroys churches. And that kind of jealousy is something that we need to avoid. But God's jealousy is a different kind of jealousy. His is a jealous love. That means he loves us so much. That he doesn't want us to share our affection with anybody else. We can see that the difference between the two types of jealousy in human relationships. For example, husband and wife. The wrong kind of jealousy is when a husband is controlling and doesn't let his wife have any other kind of friendship because he always wants to keep her to himself. That's a wrong kind of jealousy but the love between a husband and wife should be jealous in the sense that there should be a level of closeness a level of intimacy that should be reserved for just between them so it would not be wrong for someone to be deeply hurt if their spouse went off and had an affair with somebody else Nobody would criticise that person for being hurt by that because that aspect of their love should be jealously guarded. It should be reserved for each of them. That intimate love between a husband and wife should be an exclusive love. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. It's so complete. It's so deep that he longs for that close, intimate, exclusive relationship. He wants our whole hearts. He wants our whole worship, our whole adoration, our whole praise. So Paul later wrote to this church in his second letter, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. Jesus doesn't want a casual relationship with us. He doesn't want us just to, to pop in to see him now and again. He wants an intimate and exclusive relationship. He wants us to be wholeheartedly committed to him. And to be faithful to him. And that's what he deserves. Not only because he's our creator... But even more so because he's our redeemer. Remember chapter 6? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. And that's why it was so wrong for these Christians in Corinth to take part in those pagan festivals. In communion, they were declaring that they were committed to Christ. It was like renewing their vows of commitment to Christ. But in those pagan festivals, they were fellowshipping with Christ's enemies. They were committing spiritual adultery. And so they were stirring up God's jealousy. So how does all of this apply to us today? should be to a little bit of thinking here because after all not many of us are tempted to attend a pagan feast where food has been offered to idols. I don't think you've probably been invited to many of those recently. But there are situations where we might be tempted to cheat on God. And so we too need to learn to flee From idolatry So for example Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 Have nothing to do With the fruitless deeds of darkness Have nothing to do with them So we must stay away From any connection With the occult With spiritism With Ouija boards Or mediums Or fortune tellers Or horoscopes or card readers, or good luck charms, or superstitions, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. This also means that we need to reject all the other religions in this world. In this age of so-called tolerance, we are encouraged to accept that all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere, because we'll all get there in the end. But Paul said here that behind all of these non-Christian belief systems is the spiritual force of Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers... So that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ It is Satan who blinds the minds of people to the truth of the gospel of Jesus And so those who reject Christ They are following the deception of Satan Even if they don't know it But that's also the case of those who follow false teaching within Christianity. Paul warned Timothy that some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. 1 Timothy four one. And so the things that go against what the Bible says, they're not just harmless other people's ideas. They are... They are the, 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 the deception of Satan they are things that are taught by demons and so we as Christians are called as Paul says in Saint Corinthians chapter 6 to come out from them and be separate now that doesn't mean that we need to be isolated from everybody else in the world We can still have friendships. We can still enjoy relationships with other people who are unbelievers. We're actually going to see that in the next section next week. But we do need to reject every false belief. And every false practice. We cannot be part of that. We need to be willing to stand in the truth of the gospel of Christ. And refuse to be involved in things that ultimately their source of is Satan himself. And of course running from idolatry means that we cannot pray to any kind of statue or picture or relic. That's just simply idolatry according to the Bible. But it also means... That we need to deal with the the less obvious, the more socially acceptable forms of idolatry in the world today. John says, don't love the world or anything in the world. Because it's equally dangerous and dishonouring to God to put anything in God's place in our lives. It doesn't need to be a little statue. It doesn't need to be a little little god. It can be any of the other stuff in this world that we can be tempted to put in God's place in our lives. So we need to turn, or refuse to turn, to our possessions for our ultimate security, or significance, or satisfaction. Refuse to turn to our homes, or our careers, or our families, or our bodies, or our sexuality, or our fun, or our happiness, or anything else that the world offers us. As the reason for why we live. And instead we need to look to God alone, as our ultimate goal, as our greatest joy. As our ultimate treasure. Folks, we need to learn that we need to flee from idolatry in our lives today. This isn't just for some people in, in other cultures that are steeped in, in that form of idolatry like in Corinth. We need to learn how to put this into practice in our lives so that we can reject the idols of our secular society. And if we do that Then that is so good for us We don't lose out when we do that We don't miss out when we turn away and flee from idolatry We gain Because it's only God who can meet our deepest need Only God can save us Only God can satisfy our hearts Or as Psalm 63 says To God, your love is better than life. So God is a jealous God. His love is so complete for us that He loves us too much to share our worship with anything else. He wants us and He deserves us to love Him with all of our heart. And all of our soul. And all of our mind. And all of our strength. So folks, let's not cheat on God. Instead, let's flee from idolatry. Let's fellowship with God. Let's fully commit to Christ. And let's not flirt with this world. Father God really thank you really thank you Father that you love us so completely that you you want all of us that you're not satisfied with just a little part of us or just a Sunday morning part of us or just a, a couple of days a week part of us you want all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength Lord we are in awe that you want us that you love us with that jealous love and so, Father, you pray that you'd help each one of us to flee from the idols of our lives, to turn away from all of these false gods, and instead bow before you and give you our everything, to give you all that we are and all that we have, that we might honour you and glorify you and praise your name.